bringing a cell or gene therapy to market is an art. Hear Veristat thought leaders as they draw on their specialized expertise to offer insight on timely, relevant clinical development topics. Welcome to the Art Podcast, Advancing Revolutionary Therapies, a podcast presented by the Center for Excellence for Cell and Gene Therapy by Veristat. My name is Mariano Oviedo. I'm a project manager at Veristat, working with our clients in cell and gene therapies. My role is to lead the planning, preparation, and successful execution of clinical studies and activities that support our partners and their clinical research. And I'm delighted to come to you today to be discussing long-term follow-up studies in gene therapy. I highly recommend you check out the podcast episode developed by our Medical Affairs Director on the safety aspects of gene therapy studies, which is a great complement to the topics we will be discussing here today. So this, um, during this brief conversation, I will uh, outline for you the key items that must be taken into consideration when designing and running a long-term follow-up study for a gene therapy product. I also want to share some of our experience from both the scientific and operational perspectives. And finally, encourage all important sources to start thinking as early as possible about their long-term follow-up studies and what they will look like. Before jumping into study design and study operations, I'd like to take a step back to ask, why do we need these long-term follow-up uh, studies? So the, jo the short answer is that um, gene therapies are considered a long-term exposure to the investigational product, and therefore we need to have a clear picture of how they will impact a patient's life, even years after the initial exposure. Current guidelines on long-term follow-up studies were issued by the FDA in 2019, and they recommend 15 years of follow-up for a wide range of vectors, such as gamma retroviral, lentiviral, herpes virus, um, microbial, and transposon elements. And they recommend five years of follow-up for um, adeno-associated virus vectors, or AAV vectors. Gendesign was the first uh, gene therapy to be approved in China in 2003, and Glibera was approved in the EU in 2012. All these, the past clinical um, research and experience has contributed to determining the length of the long-term follow-up studies and understanding the risks associated with these gene therapy vectors. Many of the adverse events associated with gene therapies will occur even years after the exposure. Some of these um, adverse events include, for instance, uh, some vectors, usually retroviral vectors or transposons delivering the genes to have the potential to integrate in the host genome and disrupt the activity of critical genes and or activate proto-oncogenes and uh, increase the, risks of uh, the risk of malignancies or cancer. Other gene therapy products have the capacity to edit the host genome and therefore the possibility uh, that some, some of these edits can cause non-desirable effects. Also, a gene therapy products that encode growth factors um, may rise, uh, raise the risk of unregulated cell growth and again go back to increasing the, uh, the chances of malignancies due to the prolonged exposure to the therapeutic protein. 
and another potential risk is that when the when the vector is based on a herpes virus there is always a potential for reactivation from latency and development of AE related uh, to symptomatic infection and last but not least um, there's a potential for persistent infections that can be established when the gene therapy products are delivered by a viral or bacterial vector with the capacity to replicate Immunocompromised patients are often at a higher risk of developing these delayed but serious infections. So depending on the, on the delivery system for the engineered genes, the, we need to consider uh, some of these um, potential adverse events. So uh, the design of the um, long-term follow-up uh, follow study should ideally begin along with the design of the parent study where the patients will receive the gene therapy product. When designing a study, you want to keep a realistic perspective on and strike a good balance between collecting all the data you need to meet your key objectives, but also not being uh, not posing too much of a burden on the sites and the patients and their families. A few, a few items to keep in mind when developing a study protocol are, are uh, as follow. Number one, a main objective for your study should always be to monitor long-term safety. Secondary objective is to monitor long-term efficacy. This is not required by the guidelines, but it is a nice to have for sponsors to better understand how their products effects are sustained in time. Sample size will always be a, a convenient sample as the patients that will meet the inclusion criteria will only be those that receive the initial treatment in the parent study and consented to participate in the long-term follow-up study. And lastly, uh, the key endpoints to be collected will be heavily informed by the findings on the preclinical data on tissue accumulation, biodistribution profile, potential for integration in specific areas of the genome, if any, as well as the findings from the parent study. So now I'm going to be shifting to talking a little bit about the operational considerations of running a long-term follow-up study. But before I jump into that, I just wanted to share some cool information that I, I learned while working on this, uh, developing this podcast episode. Did you know that Veristat led the clinical study for the first gene therapy approved in Europe? While preparing for this podcast, I had the opportunity to chat with several of my colleagues. Some of them worked on this first study, and many of them who are currently working on long-term follow-up studies for gene therapies. Um, all of them agree that the key to the success of these studies is maintaining strong, positive relationships with their patients, their families, and the sites. From an operational perspective, keeping in mind factors that relate to study duration are key to the success of this study. So a few considerations to have in mind are the following. Number one, we need to adapt the study documentation to stand the test of time. One additional question we uh, need to ask is, Will this document make sense to a PM or any other team member from, uh, say, 10 years from now? 
when probably all the original members of the of the team are no longer in the company. Secondly, uh, a similar rationale applies for different kinds of assessments being done for the study. For example, for one study, uh, we are using a specific uh, promise assessment questionnaire, which is part of our EDC. After a couple of years, we realized that this questionnaire might have changed considerably in time. So moving forward, we have made provisions to save copies of the versions of the assessment that are being used. So that way, this uh, can also be kept in mind while uh, any time that we need to update the EDC. The same rationale applies to certain laboratory tests that are being are being done for um, for these patients. We need to know exactly what uh, the protocols uh, or how those tests are being done as well and how they are being uh, the results are being interpreted. Number three, the major challenge for long-term follow-up studies is patient retention. As we mentioned before, the number of patients is predetermined by the number of patients initially enrolled in the parent study. So we want to maximize the number of patients agreeing to participate in the long-term follow-up study and do our best so that they remain engaged throughout the years with the clinical study and they are not lost to follow-up. We recommend having a patient retention plan that can include newsletters for the patient, for the family, postcards as reminders whenever their follow-ups are coming. Another approach that has proven useful is to is uh, keeping the patient's main healthcare provider involved and copied in the follow-up process, even if they are not a formal site for the study. Lastly, one um, just another mention, a quick mention to um, basically the recent shift that we've had in in acceptance and increased use of telemedicine as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic. This has reduced the, the burden on patients and their families um, that can be followed up uh, over the phone or over a virtual visit. And as the COVID restrictions uh, are relaxed, hopefully some of these tools will continue to be used. So to wrap up for today, it is important to keep in mind a few things. Monitoring safety is the key paramount of long-term follow-up studies. Number two, keeping a good balance between collecting enough data to support your objectives, your study objectives, and not overburdening your site will be key to your study success. And number three, make sure that your study documentation can stand the test of time and team turnovers. I hope that you find this um, episode valuable. Certainly reach out through the links available on the Veristat website for additional information. We will be back and talking to you again soon. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast player and look for our other Cell and Gene podcasts at cellandgene.expert.